If this is your first time with us, again, uh, we're, we're uh, in the midst of a series called Imperative, and I just want to catch everybody up on that, and it's talking about uh, the dynamic of those things that had to happen, that Jesus had to do, that was imperative to do, because it not only speaks to who he is, but it also speaks to what we believe and how we live out our faith, and and. It's interesting because we, we've looked at some of a lot of these very positive aspects of the things that Jesus had to do. And this morning, we're going to talk about uh, another thing that had to happen. It was imperative to happen. But it's that idea of God leaving, of Jesus leaving earth, of ascending into heaven, returning back to the Father, and why this had to take place and the importance of it taking place. And I know for uh, a lot of us, um, leaving is an, it's an interesting sensation. It brings about different emotions. It, it brings different things to mind, um, and there's a lot connected to it. Sometimes, uh, you know, a, a leaving can be sudden. It can happen very quickly, and, and maybe you're not expecting it. Sometimes it is expected. You, you know today that you will leave this service or so you think. Um, you know, it will end at some point in time, obviously, yes. It, it will end, you'll go home, and you know, we, we're, we're aware of that ending, it takes place. Some, uh, sometimes a leaving can be anticipated. Maybe you are anticipating leaving right now. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, m- maybe, m- maybe it's not anticipated. Again, it falls back into that sudden thing. Um, for me, leaving has taken on a whole new understanding and meaning ever since I had children. Now, I, I don't know if you've seen this stand-up comic, so this is not my thing as much as I would love to claim it, but uh, have you ever seen the guy, he does this bit of like, this is what it's like for people with no children to leave. Would you like to leave? Yes, I would like to leave. The end. And this is what it's like for people with children to leave. No, no, honey, don't put that shoe on yet. No, no, you're going to get, honey, go, you go ahead and start the car. Please go start the car. No, don't put that on. You need to take that. Don't talk to your sister that way. No, I'm getting it too. Can you, how did you get up there? All right, no, please put that down. No, that's not happening. Start the car. Leave without me. You know, this is the idea of, uh, you know, children create a different dynamic and, and leaving is no longer the ease that it once was. That's also taken a new form. When we go somewhere, when we're at someone's house, if there is not a specific number of heads up given to the girls, well, it's going to be fun, but not in the way you were expecting. We learned that the hard way. I don't know what our first instance was when we were you know, at somebody's house, they're playing in the backyard, and we just wander in and say, okay, girls, it's time to go. No heads up, no warning, no nothing. And it was the most spontaneous meltdown I had ever seen in my life. And Stella has this unbelievable ability. She's got this sweet little round face. But as soon as something goes wrong, it like flattens. It like flattens and like her jaw kind of unhinges and drops down like around here. And she's just like... And you, and, and you see it like taking place. You're like, oh no, we've made a huge mistake. Okay, uh, how did we do this wrong? So now... 
you know, we, we, we have multiple levels of, hey girls, we're gonna have to go in about 15 minutes. Now they don't know what 15 minutes means, okay? So that, that's a good thing. We still have that going for us. But you know, if that isn't enough, there also is the all-powerful timer. If you guys, if you incorporated that into your child rearing, you need to, okay? Because the timer is heartless and the timer runs and the timer cannot be swayed. And when the timer goes off, the end, the end has come. So, you know, you, you need, you, we need those warnings to kind of build up so that the sudden leaving is, is not the difficult thing that it could be. Now, sometimes, you know, leaving also is something you want to do. Um, you want to go away from some place. And now we don't need to get into the specifics of what you want to leave or, or who you want to leave from if you're around them. But uh, I'll, I'll share two stories with you in particular on this area. My father is a pastor, as I've said multiple times before. And, you know, being a pastor, you go and you do different visits. And when you go visit people, you, uh, you sometimes, well, for lack of a better word, get trapped and there's no way out of there. And uh, so he and, and his assistant, they worked out this signal, and so what they would do, so everybody can see it, so this is my father's signal, all right? So if they're sitting there, and you know, it's been, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. So he would do this. It was this, it was like that forward push on the leg and then a double tap, and that was, we are getting out of here, okay? <laughs> this is it, this means wrap it up, we're done, no more, okay, we've had enough. So um, I have been in the presence when that signal has gone down, it was kinda cool, cause I knew what was happening, I definitely am not gonna be a good spy, uh, cause I don't have a poker face, it was like, oh, we just did it. <laughs> mm. Mm, yes, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or if you come to my office and we're talking and you see me do this, get out. Um, you're done, you, you've run your course. No, uh, I, I will not do that. But the best story I have ever heard about leaving someplace comes from my friend, Justin Hemming. Justin uh, used to go to 360 a number of years ago. Uh, he, and his, he got married, he's on the mission field actually over in Spain. But Justin being a 20-something growing up in Sarasota, Florida, was lacking in the 20-something departments of other people to hang out with. And at times, you know, you're a single Christian dude, there are these other single Christian gatherings that would just kind of take place and you would, you know, be invited to them. And Justin tells the story of going to one of these parties, opening the door, doing a quick scan and realizing I do not want to be here at all. And so he does the most amazing thing I've ever encountered. He opens up, he's just like, hey, uh, guys, I left my chips in the car. I'll be right back. Closes the door, goes into his car, gets in, drives away. There were never, <laughs> there were no chips in the car whatsoever. And this has become code in our family of like, hey, I left my chips in the car. Get out now. Okay. Uh, so that's, that's one for you, buddy, if you're listening to the podcast. There you go. But we were, we, we were uh, uh, that to me is still amazing. Um, but what about if you are required to leave? Have you ever been in a position where you need to leave, and not from your own personal preference, but you actually genuinely need to leave? When Audrey and I had just moved on to the mission field, one of the first things you do is you apply for your visa, because your visa allows you to stay long-term. If you just go into a country, get your passport stamped, you have 90 days, 
And then once that runs out, you have to be out of the country for 90 days, and then you can come back in again. So, you know, so if you've moved to a foreign country, we had moved to the Czech Republic, you want to get established, you want to, you know, stay there, you want your paperwork to be in order, you want your visa to be approved so you don't have to leave. Now, we were told from multiple people, the process has changed. It's a little weird now. You want to do it as fast as you can. And we did do it as fast as we can, but by day 78 of 90, there was still no visa. And there was no word of a visa. And summer was rapidly approaching, which was our busiest season. And, you know, you kind of wanted to be there to do your job. And I will always remember sitting in the office with my boss. And uh, I'll, just, I'll just play out the exact scenario of what happened. He was a very well-connected guy. Uh, and so he knew different people. And so he had called the magistrate office to ask about how our visa was being processed, if there's anything that could happen, what they could do, anything along that line. And this is how it plays out. <clears throat> ano, yo, dobře, okay, oka, mhm, mhm, dobře, yo, mhm, 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 oka, no, you come once, naskle, naskle. You should leave the country immediately. No joke. That's what he said. I mean, this stern face, just like you should leave the country immediately. And like, what, how do you process that information? What would you do if someone came up to you and said, you need to leave the country right now? You need to get out of where you are and you need to go away. Thankfully, we had friends uh, who lived in Northern Ireland and that was outside of the set zone. And so we ended up living with them for five more weeks before our visa was finally processed. We came back in the country and continued on. But that idea of a required leaving, a necessity of going, is what Jesus encountered when we talk about this imperative of him returning to the Father, of ascending back into heaven. And, and maybe you've never thought of it in that sense of this is something that had to be done. It was a requirement that needed to happen, but it did. And that's what we're going to look at today. And we're going to look at kind of three main areas of the necessity, the importance of him leaving and what it means for us. Now, over the last few months, we've spent a lot of time in the book of John, and it just so happens that all of what we're going to look at today is also in the book of John. So if you want to turn to your devices or, you know, or sorry, you can turn in your Bibles or open your devices and you can go to John chapter 16, and we're going to kind of be around in those few chapters, 14, 15, 16 today. And we'll start with John 16, verse seven. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples. This is before uh, the crucifixion takes place. This is before his death, before his resurrection. But he's doing like what I do with my girls and giving the disciples a heads up as to, I am going to go. I am going to need to go. And you need to understand why I have to go. And, and yet it's, it's fascinating to me that Jesus in this position is beginning to communicate that to them. And, and I think also for when you think of it just from a human perspective, where have we ever seen an individual who's at the top of their game, who is 
um, you know, business leaders, movement leaders, church leaders, uh, government figures, who at the top of their game says, I need to leave. And not only do I need to leave and like totally go away, but it's even, it's better for you if I go away. We, we don't see that. We, we see people who hold on to positions of power until they literally have to be put in the grave. I read something this past week of a TV executive who is uh, in his upper 90s. He's unable to speak. He can't really communicate, but he is still in his role as like executive director of this company. He even had an iPad made up with specific like, yes, no, get out of my office. And I'm not kidding. And he would just like hit these buttons and it would say it through a loudspeaker so he can vote and be a part of things. I mean, this guy should have stepped down a long time ago. And that, that refusal to leave, that refusal to step out. And yet here's Christ saying, no, I, I, I need to leave. I need to step out. It's, it's better for you if I go. And, and that kind of leads us to that first aspect of why it's important and it's the reality that first off, Jesus just doesn't belong here. Earth is not his home. I mean, think about this. We, we've talked about it at length of the significance of Christ. Okay, everybody remember? Flashback. What's this? All of time in human history and everything along that line. You have all failed your quiz miserably. I'm writing it down. Okay, here we go. Very bad. Uh, No, so this is all of like human history and time and space and everything. And Christ and God and the spirit are all outside of that. And Jesus is able to bring himself into it and be a part of it for extended amount of time being here on earth with us or with disciples, excuse me, not with us right now. But that's not where he is supposed to be. This is not his home. This is not his place. And he even makes full mention of this in John 16, verse 28. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. So he's giving that full snapshot of, I was here, now I'm here, I have to go back there. This is where I belong. I'm returning to the Father to be in that place with him because that relationship, that dynamic of Christ and the Spirit and the Son, all, uh, the Father all together, that oneness of the Trinity is where Jesus ultimately belongs. And, and that is a lot for our heads to, to wrap around. But think about this. When Christ is being crucified on the cross, the heaviest moment for him is when the father breaks the relationship. When he looks away for a moment, turns his back on his son, that is the heavier weight for Jesus to bear. So while it's wonderful that he could have been with us in human form for a period of time, it is more significant, it is more important that he return and go back to the father where he belongs. And what's fascinating too is when he returns, he's not just going back and continuing in the relationship. Now Christ has a job. Christ has a responsibility. And, and what's really fascinating is, is the way in which this, this terminology is used, okay? And it's, it's maybe you, you've seen it before, but he is interceding for us. Interceding for us. And this is Jesus now at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. And it's mentioned, Paul says it this way, in Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Who is to condemn? 
Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So what does that mean to you specifically? If you were to hear the word interceding on your behalf, um, I, I, I think for me, when I've, when I've thought about it, it's more that idea of like, Jesus is up there, uh, he's with the Father, and, and, and he's just constantly telling him, no, 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 it's okay. No, it's okay. No, he, he's okay. And we'll just use me as the example. When I screw up, Jesus is there saying, no, no, God, it's all right. He's, I, it's okay. I got him. He, he, no, no, no. I know he does it all the time. I've seen it a lot. Yeah, I know. Shocker. How many is this? We're not even counting. Okay. But like, we're good. We're good. Or maybe you view it in a sense of Jesus is up there just constantly begging for mercy. Like, no, no, no. Don't zap him yet. Wait, wait. It's okay. You know, hold on. And, 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 but that's not actually what this means. It's not what it's looking at. In fact, the language, the original language, this interceding is actually speaking of one who is an advocate, essentially a lawyer. And, and I don't know your experience with lawyers. They usually come with a negative connotation. I apologize to all the lawyers in the room, those of you who are making faces at me now. Um, I, I see at least one of you, but anyway, so I'll keep looking at my notes. But, uh, but this is a defense lawyer. Jesus is actually arguing on your behalf to get you acquitted. This was the idea that kind of rolled out and it was just incredible to me. Uh, uh, Tim Keller put it this way in saying, he's not just up there asking for mercy. He's not just up there saying, God, look the other way while they screw up. No, actually, Jesus is acting like a lawyer in a court of law. And he's saying, look, Father, you established this law. You said this is the way things are supposed to operate, that sin requires a payment and that payment is a life. That payment is a pen the penalty that comes with it, but I want you to know that based on your law, I have paid that payment. I have taken that penalty on myself. Look at my hands, look at my side, look at my broken body. I have taken the blame for this man's guilt, and you cannot charge him twice for something that's already happened. So I have taken that payment. He is innocent. He is acquitted. He is released. And that is what Jesus is doing for each and every one of you at the right hand of the Father. He is not up there begging for mercy. He is letting you go. He is getting you out of the position you were in. And that is, that is great. I mean, we need that. We want that. So that idea of him returning to the Father to intercede for us, that is where he belongs. And that's an added bonus for all of us. I mean, this is saving grace right there in its plainness, but there's more to it because we think about, okay, he, he's going to go. And we even said, he's giving the disciples a heads up. He's telling them, guys, I need to leave. I need to leave. So Jesus doesn't belong on earth, but what is the disciples take on that one? Well, John 16, 17 through 20 says this. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? 
Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. The disciples had the reaction that I think a lot of us have when someone tells us news that maybe we don't want to hear. But what about me? What about me in this picture? How, how am I going to respond to this? But, but what, what about me? Again, it's with my kids. You know, when I say, girls, it's time for us to go, they don't look back and say, you know what, dad, you're right. It is time for us to go. We've been here long enough and you're probably tired from spending time with those people. I'm happy to let you go. Let's head on out to the car. That is yet to happen, okay? Probably won't happen for a good long time. But, but this is the dynamic of the disciples. They're only focused on their own individual needs. You know, why, why could you leave now? Or, or oh, okay, wait, no, I, I understand what you mean by saying you're going to leave. You mean when Rome is overturned and... I'm set up as king or maybe governors. We'll take whatever position you want to give us. Uh, that's when you're going to go, right? When everything's good, when everything's fixed, right? Right? I think that's what they're thinking. Because again, their perspective is based from their own lens, what they are going to get out of it. Uh, there was this hilarious moment when Audrey and I said we were going to leave 360. We were, we were going to go be missionaries. And someone came up to me on a Sunday morning and said, but Rob, Who's going to do announcements? You're right. Who is going to do announcements? Because they are so good and so life-giving that when you leave, the church is just going to cave in on itself. Actually, the running gag was that actually after I left, the church grew to what it is now, so maybe I'm the problem. Anyway, okay. Um, so, but this is the perspective people have when maybe a friend has come and said, hey, you know what? It's time for me to go. And your response is one of, but you can't go. Who am I going to hang out with? Who am I going to spend time with? This is what the disciples were doing. They were unable to see the importance of Jesus leaving. And this leads us to the second reason why it's important for him to go, because our faith depends on it. They were so used to hanging on to everything that he was doing of spending all their time with him that the idea of him leaving brings this shock to their system of like, well, who's going to preach and tell people about the kingdom now? And he's like, you are. Oh, great. Like, that's not what they probably wanted to hear. That's not what they want. You know, if you've got someone who's totally capable of doing something, and then they say, guess what? I'm leaving. You get to do it now. Oh, thank you, I think. But so here's the issue. Christ, in that moment of saying, look, I need to leave, that strengthens our faith. Because our faith is based on what? Things that we cannot see, things that we have not experienced. We have not literally been in Jesus' presence, and yet here we are 2,000 years later still saying, he lived, he existed, I believe everything that he did, and I am a follower of his. That's your faith in action working at this very moment. So we, we don't want to be like Thomas, and you know we've used that example plenty of times, and you can see it here in John chapter 20, verses 20 through 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, 
unless I see his hands, the mark of the na- unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thomas's faith was based on actually seeing Christ after he had returned from the dead. And and this is kind of crazy to me because Thomas is one of the 12. He has seen people come back from the dead. He has seen Jesus walk on water. He has seen him feed 5,000. He's seen him heal multitudes of people. He's He's been present to every miracle that has happened. And yet even at the end of all of this, he says, no, no, still don't believe it. Need to see it for myself. Don't believe it. And and this weighs heavy on me because like for a lot of us, what does that mean for our faith? How how are we going to work that one out? You know, and those people, you know, who struggle with saying, I I need to see this. I'm not going to believe it unless I see it. It's reminiscent of Jesus tells the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, okay? And, and Lazarus was a beggar, and, and the rich man was obviously a rich man, but they both die, and, and Lazarus ascends, and the rich man goes below, and, and the rich man is pleading with Lazarus and with Abraham, saying, if you could just send me back, if you could just let me speak to my relatives, then they would know that this is real, And the response from Abraham is they've had the prophets, they have tons of people to tell them, even someone who rises from the dead will not be enough for them. And that kind of blows my mind that someone could be in Jesus's presence for so long and still be in the place of saying, nope, I don't think it's real. I have to see it for myself. So how does that work out for Thomas? Well, verse 27 through 29 of chapter 20 says this. Then he, being Jesus, said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. But Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's troublesome for Thomas. It doesn't put him in a very good light, especially that question that Jesus asks at the end, essentially saying, you have to see me to believe in the midst of everything that you've been around. But there's a positive for us because we are recipients of that blessing. Our faith exists and is strengthened and grows because of that reality that Jesus is no longer here. He is in heaven and that is what strengthens our faith. Because in all honesty, and, and let's just let's kind of suspend reality for a minute, but if Jesus was still alive and in Judea and you could just go see him, uh, what would that do for you? For a lot of us, it would say, oh, now I really get it. If I could just bring my family members and they could see Jesus, then everything would be fine. And yet it's that reality right there of saying he needs to be gone in order for our faith to be what it needs to be. And, and you got to think about it as well, too, because when Jesus comes back, he is actually still limited. He's still in a human body. He needs to eat. He probably needed to sleep. He needed to travel like everyone else does. So his, his ministry, his ability is still limited in some ways. And this leads us into the third reason why he had to go. It's because of who takes his place. And we go back to that main verse that we opened up with. 
John 16, 7 says this, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, real quick, asking the audience, what is that word? Maybe your Bible says something different. What, what is it? It might say helper. What else do you see out there? Anybody? Counselor. Counselor. Okay. Anything else? Friend. Friend. Okay. So we've got to, here's, here's the reality, folks, is that that actual word that's being used is the word paraclete. And paraclete, for what it's worth, can translate into a number of these different words, friend, counselor, advocate. Again, uh, that, that's why it goes back to saying helper, at least in my version. But it's that same idea that the Holy Spirit takes on that same form, not as a counselor, as one who walks alongside and just kind of says like, tell me your problems today, but, but a counselor, again, in that legal sense of the word, of someone who is striving on your behalf, who is defending you, but is who also enabling you in the same time. So think about this. We have Jesus in heaven who is arguing and defending on our behalf, and we have a spirit here on earth who is arguing and defending on our behalf. And, and, and what does that look like? Well, essentially what it means is the spirit is the one who helps us to understand and grasp all that this Christian life requires. Because let's be honest, folks, how many of you really like forgiveness? I mean, you like forgiving other people? Oh, oh, well, well, now that you put it that way, yes. I love being forgiven, but I don't like to forgive. I mean, we don't really like the idea of grace. I would be much happier being angry at everyone than I would having to view them as someone that I need to have compassion on, okay? And the Spirit is actually the one who enables you to say, no, you need this. This is of your benefit. This is why I'm here to help enable and teach you and guide you into all of these things. And you know what's great? Is he's still here. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't get hungry. He doesn't get worn out by anything. When the disciples are in Jerusalem and the persecution hits and they go wild in all different directions, does the spirit stay in one place? No. He goes with each and every one of them. And that same spirit that was in Peter, that was in Paul, that was in St. Augustine, that was in Billy Graham and Matt Chandler and everybody else is right here with you. And you have access to that exact same power and relationship that existed out here before everything began. And, and, and this is just like, man, when we get into this one, it just kind of gets into crazy territory. And I'm not, I, 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 it's too much to really comprehend what the spirit does and means to us. But I just want to look at a couple points in particular. So what's the value of the spirit being here? Um, why is he going to be able to accomplish more? And that's what Jesus said. And so we see this in John 16 verses 13 to 15. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me and he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So here is the spirit who speaks from what he hears from the father that is passed to the son and now gives it to us. 
We have access to that. Have you ever noticed uh, that prior to the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost, Peter barely gives a paragraph's worth of anything to anybody? I kind of imagine him in some ways as this just like dude in the, like, you know those guys who like want to talk and then when they like get the opportunity to talk, it's just a train wreck. You know, like you, 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 you ask the guy, you ask him a question, you hand him a mic and you're like, oh boy, here we go. How do I pull this out of his hand? I mean, I, I don't think Peter was one of eloquence of, of anything that was of uh, interest Yet Pentecost comes, the Holy Spirit descends on the disciples. They begin to preach. Peter himself stands up in front of basically the entire city and launches into this phenomenal sermon that runs so long that the writer of Acts actually just stops writing it down and says, and many more words. So, I mean, it even hit a point, but here is this like uneducated fisherman who suddenly is just like knocking the crowd off their feet, 3,000 people come to a following of Jesus, and how do you think he was able to do that? Do you think he took an overnight course? He watched some YouTube videos? No, this, this is the Holy Spirit working within him to give the words at the time necessary. And as I was running this through with, with Audrey, and we were just kind of, you know, I, I love to kind of throw out a different points, and I was like, and you know, none of, like, you guys probably won't be in that scenario. And she then goes, why not? If the Holy Spirit can work in Peter, why can't it work in us? That's why I married her. So here's the reality. That same power, that same opportunity. So will you likely find yourself in front of everyone in Sarasota over the next week and have the opportunity to preach? Probably not. But if you did who is going to give you the words to say? And you have power and access to that spirit and it is going to work for you. Like, like this is not me up here, okay? I didn't suddenly just like figure all this stuff out magically over the course of the week. This, this is how we have the ability to speak. And isn't it hilarious? And I'm just going to go ahead and put us all on blast now, right? It's hilarious that when we have the opportunity to share the gospel with someone, what's the first thing, what's the first statement that comes out of our mouth usually? I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. And guess what? You don't have to because you are not the one who is going to speak for you. The Spirit is going to give you the ability to speak when the time comes and the words to say, because that's what He does. That is His job. That is His life. That is His existence. I have a vivid memory of when I first moved to Czech, this was after college, and I was taking language lessons. I was doing two hours a day, five days a week for three months of Czech, and then my brain exploded. Um, and one of those days, I, I, I'm there with my teacher. She's an ardent atheist. She has no interest in God whatsoever. And she asks me the question, why do you believe what you believe? And I begin to say, and she's like, no, 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 in check, in check. Come on, come on. And I just started talking. And I did. And I don't remember exactly what I said or how I said it, but I know that when I was done, she had this look on her face. And she said, you've never spoken that good ever. Like, you've never done that. 
your, your, your pronouns were in the right place and your, 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 you were using the right cases. It came out naturally. And this is the reality, folks, is that that Holy Spirit within me in that moment says, okay, Robert, shut up. I'm going to take over. And the opportunity to speak came from it. And this is what we're going to find ourselves with, folks, when those opportunities to share the gospel, don't be afraid, don't worry, you've got somebody right there with you who's going to take care of it, okay? So that, I mean, is that encouraging? I just want to double check here. We've, just got, we've, we've got a lot of faces that are just kind of looking, all right? I want to make sure everybody gets that one. Good. So he is still here with us. This spirit is still with us in this very moment. And, and how long is he going to stay with us? I just want to clarify this one. So John 14, 16 to 17 says this. I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And this is the reality for all of us right now is he will be with us forever until the very end, but he will be with you, a part of you, if you have chosen to follow Christ and you have asked for forgiveness of your sins, you get that gift of the spirit. This is what Jesus promised. This is why he had to return. And like I said earlier, that same spirit that was there with Peter that day of Pentecost is with you in this very moment. And that same spirit that is arguing on your behalf, that is a part of the relationship of the father and the son is with you. And he will stay with you until the very end. This is our hope. This is the reality. This is the imperative of Jesus returning of ascending, because get this, and just think about this in terms of the relationship. You had God who is outside and God who is prevalent over all. You had the son who came close for a very brief moment in time, and yet after he returns, you have the spirit who will be with you as long as you walk this earth until you return to where you belong, up with the father, up with the son, and up with the Spirit until we all ascend together. Let's pray. God, I am reminded today that it is not our ability that has moved the gospel forward. It was not our human doing that managed any of it, but it was your spirit that you gave to us that spread and grew. And now thousands of years later from that small city, here we stand, here we speak, brothers and sisters walking together, connected by that part that is living within us, here, present with us now. So Father, we thank you that not only do we have you at the right hand of the Father, defending, keeping, protecting us, but that you have given us this helper, this advocate, this counselor, this friend to be here with us now to walk this road. May we be reminded this week that we don't have to worry about the words. We don't have to worry about the things to say because you will speak for us. You are a part of us, Jesus. You are a part of us, Lord. And that is all we need to be reminded of. 
Thank you again for your church. Thank you for this provision. Thank you for this promise. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.